the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. What's going on, everybody? The pre-Labor Day edition of the Algatulo Craft Beer Cast on AM 970. The answer, we have what I consider one of the best shows that I've ever done in the three years of this program. And uh, that might sound like hyperbole, but it is not. If you are a music fan, if you are a beer fan, this show is going to have it all for you. And I hope that you will stay tuned Uh, throughout this hour here on AM 970, The Answer. Uh, We've got news and notes to get to very quickly. Uh, How do you follow me? Very easily on Twitter at Al Gattulo, Instagram at Gattulo, Facebook.com slash AG Craft Beer Cast. Email me at Albert G at NYCRadio.com, iTunes, Google Play, just do a search for AG Craft Beer Cast. You can find all the shows on those two platforms. And, of course, the Hopped Up Network as well. Just go to thehoppedupnetwork.com and you will find my program along with a plethora of other beer programs on there. Coming up. In 10 minutes, and for two segments, authors Alan Paul and Andy Aladort, who have written a book called Texas Flood on one of my favorite guitar players of all time. You just heard him at the open from the Instep album, Love Me Darling. Stevie Ray Vaughan will join me on the program, and that's coming up in 10 minutes. We spend two segments with them. Alan and Andy were awesome. Again, one of just... One of my favorite interviews of all time because I just loved Stevie Ray Vaughan. And we get into Stevie and his history and, and seeing him in concert. And just It's a lot of fun. You definitely want to stay tuned for that. And then in 30 minutes, final segment of the show, no suds and duds this week, Sean Lawson from Lawson's Finest Liquids will join me. This was an interview I had taped about a week and a half ago at Paragon Tap and Table right on their patio. Lawson's is now in New Jersey. We'll chat with Jersey native Sean Law- Lawson. Uh, about about that, about the fact that he is a Jersey native. No, uh, I didn't really know that. And a collaboration he is doing with a pretty big brewer in New Jersey, and you'll get the details on that uh, as well coming up in about a half hour. Let's dive into news and notes. Uh, the Cincinnati Zoo will be opening the Cincinnati Zoo and Botanical Garden for hops in October. Hops will feature several local breweries as well as offer plenty of new food items. Hops will grow their own herbs while sourcing their meat, cheese, and produce locally. The dining area will also provide real dishes and silverware instead of single-use plastic ware. Hops will be open in time for Zoo Brew on October 10th, and the deck area will provide seating to 130 people. Hops is just one of several projects that the zoo will be unveiling in the upcoming year. Just go to CincinnatiZoo.org for more information. This is a great story. A beer company uh, that is based that started in Grand Rapids is ensuring that a northern Michigan school district starting, starts this new year with no student lunch debt. A foundation affiliated with Mitten Brewing paid $2,700 to erase unpaid meals and snacks in the Sutton's Bay District near Traverse City. 
Superintendent Mike uh, Carmine says, we're just very blessed. He tells the Traverse City Record Eagle that some students were nearing $100 in lunch debt. Uh, Chris Andrews, uh, the owner of Mitten Brewing, responded after bartender Joe Simmons criticized a Pennsylvania school district for threatening parents over lunch debt. Simmons also is a substitute teacher in Sutton's Bay. And Dan Frank, the general manager of Mitten Brewing in Northport, says, one of the beauties of being in a small community is acting on local needs. That is awesome. Kudos to Mitten Brewing. Stony Creek Brewing, if you don't know about this brewery in Connecticut, three key members of Stony Creek's brewery team were laid off about a week and a half ago. Stony Creek Director of Operations Manny Rodriguez confirmed to Brewbound, Brewmaster Andy Schwartz, Director of Sales Jamal Robinson, and Key Account Manager Spencer Niebuhr are no longer employed by the company. As Rodriguez wrote in a statement, the American craft beer industry has changed. We need to be honest with our business approach to craft as a part of this change. Both Jamal Robinson and Spencer Niebuhr on the sales side and Andy Schwartz on the brew side are no longer employed with the company. Their contribution has been immeasurable with over 80 talented employees. Stony Creek Brewing remains committed to creating more interesting beers more often in each with the same level of quality and innovation. Uh, now, this brewery's uh, in Brantford, Connecticut. It's been open for about six years. Um, this is very interesting of what happened. And the, the interesting thing is the fact that my neighbor, uh, Greg, was up at Stony Creek Brewing about just a couple of days before the layoffs happened. And he wasn't impressed with the beer. So I'm wondering if this is now, you're laying off your brewmaster. I'm wondering if this is an issue with ownership that says we want to brew these beers. The brewmaster says we're going to brew these beers instead of those beers that you want to brew, and they had a disagreement. Again, if you're a small brewery right now and you're not knocking it out of the park and you have people coming in and creating a buzz about your beer, you're not going to be around for very long. Bottom line, these guys have been open six years. There are people that want to jump to the new, to the hot new brewery every single time. You've got to be on your A game all the time. So it's a shame that they had to lay off three employees, but I'm sure that there's a reason why, and I'm wondering if my neighbor revisits that brewery in, let's say, six months, if things will have changed. Green Flash Brewing Company excited to announce the return of its Green Flash and Alpine brand families to Massachusetts and Rhode Island. The market relaunch uh, marks a focused and limited distribution of Green Flash and Alpine beers into the East Coast markets, driven by continued consumer interest in the brewing company's innovative hop-forward portfolio. Green Flash will have their iconic West Coast IPA, a new hazy IPA, and tropical DNA, along with Alpine Beer Company's Duet, Nelson and HFS brands. That'll begin September 9th of this year at select locations throughout Massachusetts and Rhode Island. All beers available in six-pack, 12-ounce cans and in drafts. So kudos to Green Flash for coming back to the East Coast. Oscar Blues has uh, uh, re- uh, returned their Death by Coconut. Uh, this is a Death by Coconut Irish Porter. Uh, this is already out, uh, was already out in the tap room. It will be distributed nationally in four packs and 12, of 12 ounce cans and on draft uh, early this month in September. So to find out more about that, go to OscarBlues.com. And then finally, before we take a quick break, we have uh, my, my friend Allison. She's running a, another event over in Westfield, New Jersey. Westfield Hops. It's taking place Saturday, November 2nd. Uh, of this year. Going to be great from 6 to 10 p.m. at the Westfield Armory. Go to the Algatulo Craft uh, Beer uh, Craft Beer Cast Facebook page. There's a link there. If you get tickets before, I believe it's before September 8th, you will save yourself uh, about 20 bucks on the tickets. You definitely want to check out this event. I will be there. It's a great event. It's 10 minutes from my house. Cannot wait to be sipping some great local and national beer as well with a bunch of friends uh, on Saturday, November 2nd at Westfield Hops. 
When we come back after a short break, authors Alan Paul and Andy Allador, who have written this new book, Texas Flood, about one of my favorite guitar players of all time, Stevie Ray Vaughan, Vaughan excuse me, will join me for two segments. This is the Algatulo Craft Beer Cast on AM 970, The Answer. Let's face it, we love Alexa, and we love to let her find your favorite radio station. This one, of course. We love it, too, when she finds us. But she could find us easier if we taught her a simple skill. To get started, simply say, Alexa, enable the Answer New York skill. After she confirms, you can then say, Alexa, play the Answer New York. That's all you have to do, and Alexa will learn how to find us. You can listen to us through your Amazon Echo, Echo Show, Echo Dot, and Amazon Tap devices. Alexa, what is your favorite radio station? That's easy. AM 970, The Answer. The Supreme Court confirmation process has been on the point of breakdown for 30 years, and it finally collapsed with the nomination of Brett Kavanaugh. I'm Molly Hemming. And I'm Carrie Severino. Our new book, Justice on Trial, the Kavanaugh confirmation and the future of the Supreme Court tells the story of the process that Kavanaugh himself called a national disgrace and a circus. The Supreme Court is the arbiter of America's most divisive disputes. The incentive to destroy Supreme Court nominees has become nearly irresistible. Our book, Justice on Trial, explores how that happened to Brett Kavanaugh and what we must do to prevent it from happening again. With more than 100 interviews, including the president, dozens of senators and other officials, we uncovered shocking details, untold until now. Will the next confirmation fight be even uglier than Kavanaugh's? Our new book, Justice on Trial, has the answer. Justice on Trial, the Kavanaugh confirmation and the future of the Supreme Court is the explosive new bestseller by Molly Hemingway and Carrie Severino, published by Regnery. Get your copy now at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, and wherever books are sold. Coming at you live from Versa, New York City's largest covered rooftop, just steps from Madison Square Garden and Penn Station. Make Versa NYC your home for all New York sports. Come tailgate pregame or join us postgame to celebrate the big win. Versa has 30 high-definition televisions for all your viewing pleasure. Don't be surprised if you spot someone you might know. Join us at Versa NYC, 218 West 35th Street, with an entrance on 34th, directly across from the garden. It's the place to be. Being in the Army National Guard is about more than just serving your country. It's about being there for your community when your neighbors need you most. The Army National Guard makes college affordable. Serving part-time lets you attend school full-time while you take advantage of education benefits that can help you graduate debt-free. If a civilian career is your goal, serving part-time allows you to work at a full-time job. The skills, qualities, and contacts you'll develop in the Guard can open doors to a great civilian career. Want to serve but worried about being away from friends and family? Part-time service in the Army National Guard allows you to serve close to home. Serving in the Army National Guard lets you have the life you want while you enjoy the many benefits of serving your community and nation. You owe it to yourself to learn more about how the Army National Guard can fit into your life. Visit NationalGuard.com. Sponsored by the New York Army National Guard. Aired by the New York State Broadcasters Association and this station. AM 97, The Answer. Welcome back to the Alcatulo Craft Beer Cast on AM 970, The Answer. Now, for those of you who have been listening to the show for the three-plus years that we've been on, you know that I'm a Stevie Ray Vaughan fan. Always have been. 
Uh, first discovered him in the uh, mid-'80s. Uh, my best friend had turned me on to him, one of his records, and said, you got to listen to this guy. We love heavy metal and rock and roll and all this other stuff. you got to listen to this guy. This guy is blues. He's rock. He's, all, he's just he's the guy. And so got hooked on Stevie Ray Vaughan, uh, got a chance to see him a number of times in concert. The first time I saw Stevie Ray Vaughan was with Jeff Beck, the Fire and the Fury tour at Madison Square Garden back in November of 1989. I was absolutely blown away. Had 13th row on the floor. Stevie at one point did a thing, and I'm sure that my next two guests would know. I'm very familiar with this. Uh, Stevie had just finished up his addiction. He was dealing with all of these demons, and he had gotten past that. And in the middle of the show, or towards the end of the show, he sits on the stage and he starts strumming his guitar, and he's talking about life, and he's talking about how you push people away that love you and care about you. He never really mentions drugs and alcohol, but everybody kind of knew. And then he yells, uh, kind of says an expletive and stands up and says, now let's get nuts. And he just drops into this three, four-minute solo, blew the garden doors off. Uh, him and Jeff Beck jam uh, a little bit later during the show on an encore. What a phenomenal show. I was hooked from that moment on. And this past week, just a couple of days ago, was the, the 29th anniversary I believe, of Stevie Ray's death. It's just unbelievable that we lost a talent uh, that young. Now, my next guests, they are the authors of a new book that has been out for a few weeks now. It's already on the New York Times bestseller list. They wrote a book called Texas Flood, the inside story of Stevie Ray Vaughan. You can purchase the book at Amazon and Barnes & Noble, etc., or check out their Facebook page at Texas Flood Book. Let me welcome onto the Craft Beer Cast authors Alan Paul and Andy Allidort. Gentlemen, how are you? Great to talk to you, Al. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, great. Thank you. And, and, you know, we still both get excited when we hear Stevie's music, like you were playing at the intro and and uh, when you talk about I'm it. Crying, uh, yeah. You hear people talk about that. Our, our hearts still beat fast. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, he um, never gets old. And no, it doesn't. And he was just an amazing guitar player. And uh, my, my, a buddy of mine got to see him at one of his New Year's Eve shows. I unfortunately, I didn't go to that one. I think it was 89, late 89 or something in New York. I didn't go because I thought I was going to score with a girl and like an idiot. I stayed and didn't score with the girl. And my friend goes and sees Stevie at like one o'clock in the morning uh, playing in New York City. So shame on me. But the last time I got a chance to see him just about a month before he passed was with uh, Joe Cocker out on Jones Beach uh, when Joe Cocker opened for Stevie Ray. And in just an amazing concert. Now, obviously, we're all huge fans of Stevie Ray Vaughan. Why did you guys decide to write this book now instead of, say, 10 years ago or 15 years ago? Alan, would you like to well, go first? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, first of all, the world had to turn around a few times before the people closest to Stevie were ready to really participate. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's probably ultimately the biggest reason. It's not really about us. Um, the thing that's really different about Texas Flood from any other book or, or documentary or other project that's come before about Stevie is that it has the full participation of his brother, Jimmy, who's both the executor of his estate and was his first uh, guitar hero and really the first person closest to him and the members of Double Trouble, Chris Layton, Tommy Shannon, and Reese Winans. And and I think they all needed this much time until they were ready to really go there. Right. And and, and obviously, obviously, still to this day, I mean, obviously we're, we're at the, the anniversary of his death, 29 years. Next year is going to be 30 uh, that he's gone and obviously gone in such a short period of time. Uh, what is amazing to me is Stevie Ray was such a huge influence to a number of different guitar players in, in the course of writing this book. How many guitar players did you speak to that, that were just enamored of this guy, just were blown away by his talent? 
Well, you know, uh, Alan described something very interesting in his uh, author's note in the book where he said, you know, he was living in Michigan and he was steeped in going to the blues clubs and, you know, for anybody that knows Ann Arbor and all that knows uh, the history of the Ann Arbor Blues Festival. And I know, Alan, I should let you answer that question. But Alan uh, discovered as a writer when he would talk to B.B. King and Albert Collins and Buddy Guy that they were all excited about Stevie Ray Vaughan, which made perked Alan's ears up and said, I better really start listening to this guy. And in my experience, um, as soon as Stevie came on the scene in 1983, um, I mean, every guitar player that I knew personally and uh, famous guitar players, I mean, he started having an influence on the entire world of music uh, as soon as people heard him and discovered him and Texas Flood came out. You know, it's because he's influenced so many people now over the three decades, um, one uh, thing is probably forgotten, but, you know, Bon Jovi, you know, when they did Wanted Dead or Alive, which was like, uh, you know, in the mid 80s, mm -hmm. uh, when Stevie came out, Richie Zambora was, uh, you know, dressing like Stevie Ray Vaughan. <laughs> he was, I mean, he loved Stevie tremendously. He was one of the first at the time, high-profile guys where you could just look at him and see the influence of Steve Ray Vaughan. So, uh, but, you know, like I interviewed everyone from B.B. Uh, King and Buddy Guy and um, Los Lobos. And, I mean, you know, Stevie just knocked the world off his axis as soon as people heard him. We're talking with Alan Paul and Andy Allendort, the authors of the book Texas Flood. It's the inside story of Stevie Ray Vaughan. Uh, AlanPaul.net, AndyAllendort.net, A-L-E-D-O-R-T, the spelling of dot the last name, dot com. Uh, I'm sorry? Dot com for me. Uh, dot com. Uh, are the authors, uh, the, if uh, you want to check out their websites, uh, for more info on both of them, we're here on the Algatulo Craft Beer Cast on AM 970, The Answer. Guys, I'll ask, uh, either one of you can, can answer this. Did, um, did Stevie give more of an impact in terms of blues? In other words, when he came onto the scene did, in the 80s, did we see more people picking up the guitar or getting influenced more by the blues? Obviously, the Muddy Waters and the T-Bone Walkers and all these uh, other guys that come before them, the B.B. Kings. But did Stevie kind of give new life to the blues in the 80s? Well, I'll say he absolutely did because, you know, Texas Flood came out in 1983 and he had been turned down by Bruce Iglauer at Alligator Records, which was the premier blues label at the time. Mm -hmm. And one year later, Bruce Iglauer signed uh, his first white artist to his label, Johnny Winter, who, of course, was well-known as right. one of the greatest Texas blues guitar players ever. And then a year later, he signed Lonnie Mack and brought Stevie in to co-produce. So almost immediately within the blues community, Stevie's impact was uh, apparent. Alan, your thoughts? Yes, uh, I agree with everything Andy said. And also, just to, to emphasize also, it also shined a light back on B.B. King, Albert King, Buddy Guy, who did not have a record deal for a long time and was, was everybody's, all, all these all these other guys' favorite guitarists, but couldn't get any traction. And then um, Buddy Guy made his big comeback, unfortunately, shortly after Stevie passed away with Damn Right, I've Got the Blues. But... Stevie advocated, excuse me, in every interview he did, he would talk about Buddy Guy not having a record deal. I mean, he said yeah, it he would just say, he, he'd ask him a question and the answer 
the, the answer didn't have anything to do with the question. He'd go, I don't understand why Buddy Guy doesn't have a record deal. <laughs> See, that's, I mean, that's great. I, obviously, he w- wanting to give back to the to the artists that he grew up listening to and wanting to, to help them and promote them. And that's, that's part of this, another part of the central theme of the book that you guys have written. Stevie was so generous in wanting to give back to everybody. The band members, everybody in the band was was an equal share in the band. There wasn't yeah. one guy over the other, which you see in a lot of bands these days. That was just Stevie's personality, right? It was his oh, personality. Very much. Yeah, it was his personality, and it was also a reflection of Stevie's acknowledgement that, you know, there were years when Stevie was a total mess. I mean, he couldn't get it together. He, was a, he had drug problems. He wasn't the most organized. He was like a mad scientist, great artist, obsessed with his guitar playing and his art. And the guys in the band really carried him. Chris Layton, you know, got him to the gigs and made sure things were booked and got a van. And right. Stevie, that was his way also of acknowledging that he understood that. He wasn't just a drummer. Tommy Shannon wasn't just a bass player. He joined the band and things took off. And while his management and other people were sort of saying, dude, you're the star, you're the, you're Stevie Ray Vaughan, you're the guitar player, you're the one they're coming to see, you could get any rhythm section, pay him whatever you want. Uh, he wouldn't hear of that. Um, and I think it was both because that was his personality and he, it, and it was an understanding of how important those guys were to him musically and personally. Another thing I just want to throw in, you know, because mm-hmm. Stevie's, it's a reflection of Stevie's dedication to the community that he came out of. The very first big Sony Records convention that he was invited to play in 1984 uh, in Hawaii, uh, he brought with him Angela Straley, uh, Austin Blues singer, and uh, Derek O'Brien, an Austin guitar player, strictly so that he could get them exposure in front of all the Sony music executives and Angela talks about that in the book, how that was a very generous thing for Stevie to do. Many people would just say, Oh, this is my moment and it's going to be about me. But Stevie wasn't like that. That, you know, that, that's, that just speaks volumes of the man. Now guys, we got to take a quick break. I want to just, if I can hold you guys over for another few minutes, uh, I want to get into some more questions about this book. That okay with you guys? Absolutely. Excellent, excellent. So we're going to take a short break, and when we come back here on the Alcatulo Craft Beer Cast on AM 970, The Answer, we'll talk with authors Alan Paul and Andy Allador uh, of their book, Texas Flood, The Inside Story of Stevie Ray Vaughan. Coming up next on the Alcatulo Craft Beer Cast on AM 970, The Answer. News, opinion, passion. This is AM 970, The Answer. It's there in 70 degrees. What's going on? We have The Answer. A woman is facing multiple charges after drunkenly crashing her car with five children as passengers last night. Suffolk County police say 47-year-old Jacqueline Moore was driving a 2012 Mercedes-Benz in Deer Park just after 10 p.m. when she crashed into a utility pole. A 16-year-old girl was taken to the hospital for minor injuries. The four other passengers, ages 7, 12, 13, and 15, were not injured. Moore's charges include driving while intoxicated and endangering the welfare of a child. Ashok Bala, NBC News Radio, New York. A preliminary report from the National Transportation Safety Board finds the pilot who crashed a plane in Wappingers back in July flew past Hudson Valley Regional Airport after making his initial distress call. David Scott was traveling with his wife and children from Ohio to Rhode Island. The report says that Scott tried to make it back to the Wappinger Airport, even though Skyacres Airport was closer and directly in his flight path. The single-engine plane went down in a wooded area, but there were no injuries, and the plane was found by a private helicopter crew less than two miles away from the airport. In sports, 
Mets fell to the Phillies 5-2, but the Yankees beat the Oakland A's 5-4 this afternoon. Traffic delays at the inbound George Washington Bridge were actually in pretty good shape. Now outbound, no problems. Upper and lower decks all moving nicely. Holland Lincoln Tunnels, we have nothing to complain about. But in the Bronx, on the Bronx River Parkway southbound at the Cross Bronx, there's a crash here. Two lanes are down. Traffic is stopped. Harlem River Drive is slow southbound from Park Avenue to the Willis Avenue Bridge. Over in Queens, Bell Parkway is slow from Rockaway Boulevard out to Erskine Street as well. Weather for tonight, mostly cloudy with a low about 67 degrees. For your Labor Day, showers are likely, possibly a thunderstorm late in the day, high near 78. Tuesday, mostly sunny, high near 81. Now you know what's going on. I'm Amy Salerno on AIM 970, The Answer. Is a friend or loved one's gambling problem affecting your life emotionally, spiritually, or financially? Do you yourself take a toll on the people around you due to a gambling issue? The effects of problem gambling are far-reaching. They've come in many different forms and grow with technology. At 800-GAMBLER, we invite you to have the conversation. Chat with your family member, speak with your friend, or have a talk with yourself. Is a gambling problem affecting your life? Visit 800gambler.org for access to a new video, various programs, services, and resources for disordered gamblers, their friends, and or loved ones. We work to educate the public and provide aid to anyone who needs it. Always know that if you reach out, you will be met with compassion and understanding from our team. We're here to help you in any way possible. 800gambler. We offer support, treatment, and hope. We're just a phone call or click away. This message sponsored by the Council on Compulsive Gambling in New Jersey, the New Jersey Broadcasters Association, and this station. Tweet us on Twitter. Like us on Facebook. We're everywhere. AM 970. com. The title track of Texas Flood from Stevie Ray Vaughan, their first album back in 1983. We're here on the Algatulo Craft Beer Cast on AM 970, The Answer. The great thing about this album is essentially it was recorded in in one kind of session in Jackson Brown's studio that Jackson Brown uh, allowed the band to, you know, drive out to California, or not allow the band, but gave the band uh, to come out to California and said, look, you can use my studio if you want to record an album. Uh, and, and a whole story as to how they met, which goes into um, uh, meeting and playing with David Bowie, et cetera, et cetera. We're talking with Alan Paul and Andy Ald- uh, Allador, the authors of the new book, SRV, Texas Flood, the inside story of Stevie Ray Vaughan. And the guys join me again on this segment here. Guys, so this this whole story about Jackson Bra- meeting Jackson Brown, and um, this happened at the Montrose uh, the Montreux, uh, Festival, the music festival. Is that right? That's right. I'm going to let Alan answer that. Um, go ahead, Alan. I'll be back in one second. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so they got invited to the Montreux Jazz Festival completely out of the blue because Jerry Wexler, the great producer, was from New York, was in Austin for something else, saw the band, was so blown away, he called up the <laughs> director of the Montreux Jazz Fest and said, just book this band. I don't have a video. I don't have a tape. I got nothing. Just trust me, do it. Right. So they did, and they went over there. The show itself was a little bit of a bummer. Didn't not you know? They were sort of booed. The reception was very muted, mm. uh, and they walked off stage feeling really bummed. But what happened was uh, David Bowie was in the audience, 
he came back afterwards and met them and said, you know, you guys are incredible, and I'd like you to play on my next album, Stevie, which, of course, they were excited about, but no one took too seriously, and that ended up being Let's Dance. Of course, he, he did follow up on it. The next night, they played in a musician's bar, and Jackson Brown and his whole band kind of stumbled into it and were blown away, jammed with them until 7 in the morning. And Jackson said, hey, I got a, a studio in uh, L.A. You can come use it for free anytime you want. So they did, and they went recording what they thought was a demo to try to get a deal. And uh, John Hammond, the great talent scout who had signed Bob Dylan, Bruce Springsteen, Billy Holiday, <laughs> Charlie, Charlie Kirsten. Yeah, he signed, uh, he, he signed it, uh, you know, heard the genius there. And not only did he sign them, but he said, this isn't a demo, this is the album. And so uh, that, those, those couple of days in Montreux, which started out feeling like they were a disaster, turned out, in fact, to be you know the start of their career. Yeah. And, that's, and that's pretty cool. And then, of course, Stevie going on to play on the David Bowie album, Let's Dance, which really uh, propelled David Bowie to, to new heights. And, of course, there was some friction there as you know, uh, Double Trouble and, and Stevie Ray were going to go on tour with David Bowie and open for them. And there was some... Uh, communication problems and some issues, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, for folks, pick up the book, definitely read the stories behind it. Uh, it's an interesting story. But, Andy, when you interviewed uh, Stevie Ray, uh, you brought a guitar with you. Now, was that to break the ice? No. Um, I started writing for guitar magazines in 1984. And, you know, um, I became a writer sort of by default because I've always been a guitar player mm. and, one of the things that the magazine I was working for at the time did that was a new thing was we did full transcriptions of songs, rock songs, you know, Stairway to Heaven or Purple Haze, whatever it might be. And I had been writing music out like that for my students and guitar solos uh, for myself for years. So I started doing that for magazines, and they asked me to go do interviews with guitar players. But a part of the interview was I'd do a traditional interview, but then I would ask the guitar player, oh, show me how to play this song or what are those licks? And I would write all that out in music and that would be included in the interview and that's what made those interviews different. And we found out guitar players love that and it helped to make the magazine very successful. So every interview I went to, uh, Steve Morris or Buddy Guy, B.B. King, Eddie Van Halen, I would have my guitar and an amp and plug them in, um, Rush, you know, and, and whoever it was. Mm -hmm. So it was not unusual with Stevie what was unusual was he came in, it was December 2nd, 86, Mid-Hudson Civic Center in Poughkeepsie. I say hello to him. I'm meeting him for the first time. He's got number one, his main beat-up guitar. I plug him into the amp. I plug my guitar into the amp. We spontaneously just started to jam for 10 minutes without saying anything. Right. And then we stopped. I took my guitar off, and Stevie said, what are you doing? And I said, well, I have to interview you now. And he said, oh, I thought we were just going to have fun. <laughs> oh, that must have... And, but and not, I have it, to intervene. This is Alan. You know, yeah. aside from that being just such a cool story, uh, it's so cool, right, that Andy jammed with uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan for 10 minutes at the start of their relationship. Before we even talked um, about it. Anything. Right, right. But, I mean, that. But that. but that's a moment that, uh, obviously, it sticks in your mind for the rest of your life, but you got to be sitting there going, oh, my God. Like, I'm jamming with this guy He's just—he's unbelievable, right? Were you? Was it? Was it kind of a, a? Was it almost like a fanboy moment where you can't believe that you're you're just playing with this guy? Well, don't forget. I mean, like I said, this is this had already happened with BB King and Buddy right. Guy, and like right. you know, all kinds of people. So, you know, I was a little bit immune to, you know, like the fanboy part of it. You right. know, I mean, I loved all these guys, Ry Cooter, Los Lobos. Um, in the case of Stevie, you know, he was 
only about a year older than me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had been playing uh, Jimi Hendrix's music in bars since 1974. And so I felt a kinship to him. And we were also very close in age. So um, I was very happy to meet him and play with him. And I had uh, endless respect for him. Um, but, but, you know, we were on the same wavelength as guitar players. Right. And in fact, my guitar is a 1961 Strat that I bought in 73, and his guitar was a 1962 Strat that he bought in 1974. And in every subsequent interview, he would play my guitar the whole time. And the last thing he ever said to me after I interviewed him and Jimmy together for Family Style, Mm -hmm. he played my guitar the entire interview, and then he stood up and handed me my guitar and said, I still love your guitar. See, that's that's pretty awesome. We're talking with Alan Paul and Andy Alador, the authors of the book, Texas Flood. It's the inside story of Stevie Ray Vaughan. Just hit their Facebook page, Texas Flood Book, for more information to go to Amazon, Barnes & Noble. You can get the book there. We're here on the Alcatulo Craft Beer Cast on AM 970, The Answer. Alan, one of the great things about this book is that both you and Andy, rather than write this as a straight biography, you told it in a perspective that people could easily follow. Was that something that you wanted to do, or uh, did it organically come together that way? We started out with the idea of doing that, and, and that's because before we even began the new interviews for this book, of which we did, I mean, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, um, we had between us already, I mean, I, I, I can't even estimate, but probably over a thousand hours of interviews. Um, it, both of us have been working on this for many decades. I had extensive interviews with Jimmy Bond. Uh, Andy also had them. We both had a lot of interviews with Chris uh, Layton and Tommy Shannon. Andy had countless hours of the, of those. And, of course, we had Andy's great interviews with Stevie just as a starting point. And then we ended up interviewing over 100 people. So we had such access to such great material. It didn't seem like the right way to do it was to paraphrase it or put ourselves into it uh, as much. And, and all of these guys speak so eloquently and with so much passion and dedication that we really wanted to focus to be on them. Um, and, you know, it seems on the surface like it might be a quicker and easier way to do a book. But, in fact, it's, it's, it's way it's harder. Like an, <laughs> it's an incredible uh, – it's like, it's like you have to be a puzzle master because you have to put this all together. Um, but, but you know, just really felt like the way to do it because we had the interviews with the guys and we wanted their voices to speak loud and clear. Yeah, and Another I – Another thing that's really important now, sorry mm-hmm. to interrupt, is that – you know, there's really only one book, one biography of Stevie that uh, is out there. It came out in 1992, mm-hmm. and um, none of the band members or Jimmy uh, and most of the people around Stevie, they um, chose to not participate in the writing of that book. And what this demonstrates clearly, and we never could have written the book we would we wanted to write without it, what this demonstrates clearly is that all of those people – uh, contributed to this book and to telling, finally telling Stevie's story the way it deserved to be told. So there it is right in front of you, you know, clear as day. Yeah, and I have to tell you, reading it over the weekend, uh, I mean, just the story just flows one into the other. The, each per, And you can kind of keep track of everything that's going on and what's happening, you know, in various points of Stevie's career. Now, last question from me, guys. Uh, Andy, you could start first and then Alan uh, second. The best memory from each of you the moment you heard Stevie Ray Vaughan for the very first time, wherever you were at, you dropped the needle on the record, you heard those those first couple of notes. Andy, I'll, I'll start with you. What was what was going through your mind when you heard it? Well, I wrote it a little bit about it in my author's note. Um, it was in the spring of 83. I was at my mom's house uh, just helping her with some stuff, and there was a radio on in the background. I wasn't paying attention. 
and Let's Dance came on this new David Bowie single. And, you know, I mean, I'm a David Bowie fan. I could hear it was David Bowie, but I wasn't really paying attention. And then this guitar solo came, and I just stopped in my tracks, and I said, what is going on? Because it sounded just like Albert King. Hmm. So, of course, I thought, Albert King is playing with David Bowie? Like, this is the coolest thing, the most unexpected. I mean, it was just genius to put this pure blues guitar intensity in the middle of what was like a disco new wave kind of a track. And I was going back and forth in my mind, oh, that's not Albert. Oh, it is Albert. Oh, it's not Albert. And of course, found out very shortly thereafter, it was a guitar player named Steve Ray Vaughan. So um, I couldn't believe it. It's just his guitar playing is phenomenal on that track. And that was this moment where I said, well, I have to, you know, find out more about this guy. And very shortly thereafter, the first album came out. And then I went to see him uh at my father's place on Long Island. So uh, that's a moment I'll never forget. Nice. Alan, uh, your memory? Yeah, you know, I'm going to focus and talking about the first time I heard Stevie with the okay. first time I saw him live with Jimmy. Okay. I had just, I was a little slow coming around to uh, Stevie, unfortunately, but at the 1990 Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival, by then I was fully on board with Stevie and I was really excited to see him and I pushed my way up to the front of the stage uh, and Jimmy came out, and, and and I didn't fully understand how cool of a thing that was the way I do now, <laughs> but uh, I knew that it was his brother, and he was the guy from the Fabulous Thunderbirds, and the two of them played, and it was just incredible. And uh, you know, they were mostly he was playing a lot of the material from In Step, um, you know, which is still probably my favorite album by him, I think. And and you know, that that was the experience that sticks with me forever. Standing there, uh, sweat drenched, end of a long weekend at the New Orleans, just being completely uh, inundated with music from Stevie, and then the bonus of seeing Jimmy. Uh, that was a very, very, very memorable. Great, great memories from both of you. My, uh, the, the book is fantastic. My guests have been Alan Paul and Andy Alador, authors of the book Texas Flood. It's the inside story of Stevie Ray Vaughan. You can check them out. Their Facebook page is Texas Flood Book. Uh, follow them all over social media, but go buy the book. Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble. It's on the New York Times bestseller list. It is a great book for the end of the summer to kind of have your reading to get into fall. And then th- flip some Stevie Ray on while you're, while you're reading it. It's definitely worth it to, to reappreciate uh, a blues talent that has gone far too soon. Alan, Andy, thanks so much for joining me tonight. Very much appreciate it. Al, thanks so much. We appreciate it, too. Thank you. Real pleasure. So happy you said Mr. Guerrero because bottom line here. That's what the book is all about. Up next, my interview with Sean Lawson from Lawson's Finest Liquids on the Alcatulo Craft Beer Cast on AM 970 The Answer. Let's face it, we love Alexa, and we love to let her find your favorite radio station. This one, of course. We love it, too, when she finds us. But she could find us easier if we taught her a simple skill. To get started, simply say, Alexa, enable the Answer New York skill. After she confirms, you can then say, Alexa, play the Answer New York. That's all you have to do, and Alexa will learn how to find us. You can listen to us through your Amazon Echo, Echo Show, Echo Dot, and Amazon Tap devices. Alexa, what is your favorite radio station? That's easy. AM 970, The Answer. Hey, let me ask you something. Would you seat your three-year-old child on a windowsill? Would you seat them beside a lit fireplace or by the deep end of a pool? One last question. Would you seat your child in a car seat that's not correct for them? Car crashes are a leading killer of children ages 1 to 13. Secure their future. Seat them in the correct car seat. For more information, visit safercar.gov slash the right seat. 
Sponsored by the New York State Governor's Traffic Safety Committee. This is Dennis Prager inviting you to join me for a 10-day Stand with Israel tour, a tour of the key sites and places to give you an unprecedented view of a world you've likely only read or heard about. Come home inspired by the experience. If you've ever dreamed of seeing Israel, this is your opportunity. We'll be together in the comfort and safety of luxurious accommodations. Join me for a life-changing adventure to give you a renewed sense of purpose. For more information and to register for this trip, go to am970theanswer.com. Every Saturday morning at 7, the Auto Lab, the longest-running auto show in New York City, can be heard for a full two hours. Host Professor Harold Walchok and a diverse panel of automotive experts will answer all your basic automotive questions and fill you in on the history and culture of the auto industry. The Auto Lab is on the air and here to help for a full two hours. Listen every Saturday morning starting at 7, right here on AM 970, The Answer. Our hosts all look like GQ models. See them now at am970theanswer.com. All right, welcome back to the Algatulo Craft Beer Cast on AM 970. The answer, without further ado, let me jump into this interview here that I recorded about a week or so ago over at Paragon Tap and Table, located right off the Garden State Parkway, uh, exit 135 in Clark, New Jersey. Uh, Lawson's Finest Liquids was doing a tap takeover, and the owner of Lawson's Finest Liquids, Sean Lawson, was there, and he joined me uh, right out on the patio where we conducted an interview to talk all about Lawson's Finest Liquids. So let's get into it right here on the Algatulo Craft Beer Cast on AM 970 The Answer. Algatulo here on the Algatulo Craft Beer Cast on AM 970 The Answer, and we are coming to you from one of my favorite places, of course, in Clark, New Jersey, uh, Paragon Tap and Table. And with me uh, right now, because they were doing a tap takeover this week, is Sean Lawson. He is the brewmaster, the owner of Lawson's Finest Liquids in Vermont. They have just entered the state of New Jersey, spreading their beer all over the place from Long Beach Island down the shore all the way up, coming up here in, well, they say it's Central Jersey, but we're really north. Who knows? We're still trying to figure out Central Jersey here. But, Sean, how are you? Thanks so much for uh, giving me a couple of minutes here. Very much appreciate Excellent. it. Excellent. I'm doing really well. Thanks, Al. So, I appreciate you having me on the show. So let's uh, let's start. You uh, you started out your trip here to Jersey by heading down to Atlantic Highlands to Carton uh, Brewing and uh, Augie Carton, and you guys uh, put together a collaboration. Is that right? We did. We've been talking about brewing a beer together uh, for years, so mm-hmm. it's finally uh, time for us to pull it off. Okay. Uh, we schemed up, what else? A double IPA. An right. imperial IPA, we're calling it. Uh, when they said, sit down, you stood up. There you go. It's a line from a Bruce Springsteen song. Excellent. I'm a Jersey boy originally. Okay. I grew up in Monmouth County in Little Silver. Born Is that at Riverview right? Born in Red Bank. Okay. And uh, Monmouth Beach, Asbury Park, Red Bank, Rumson, those towns oh, all around wow. there. Those were my stomping grounds as a kid. Nice. Um, I got hooked on Vermont early and... Uh, Visiting as a family to go skiing, uh, Grandma's Lake House up on Lake Maury during during the summer, mm-hmm. and I ended up going to college up at the University of Vermont and fell in love with the state and, and just never really left. There so you I go. decided to stay, but it was really fun brewing with Augie and his team. Uh, we did a, a double IPA. Uh, this one features a big charge of one of the newer hops, mm-hmm. Strata. Okay. At the end, uh, it's based a little bit on their boat recipe, a double boat. He's calling it uh, with the Kolsch yeast. Um, so it should be really nice and clean on the flavor profile with a, a, a huge hop aroma and a nice flavor to complement it. And he loves his boat. 
I, oh, I've yeah. seen Augie put, like, put a few of them I back. Like, I like the boat myself. I'm drinking nice. our uh, kind of the lightest, most refreshing beer that we make at Lost's Finest, the Scrag Mountain Pilsner. Right. It's one of my go-to everyday kind of beers, 4.8% alcohol, very crisp, very clean, uh, inspired by a Czech Pilsner, and uh, I love it. I'm really proud of this beer coming out of the new Waitsfield location in mm-hmm. Waitsfield, Vermont, our new brewery, tap room, and uh, destination location for fans, something we'd never had before. We've been open for 11 years in business, uh, but we'd never had a location that was open to the public until this last year. We opened in October of last year. And, and why is that? Uh, started out at my house, very right. small brewery uh, next to the house, uh, stayed there for all these years. About five years in, we opened in 2008, and in 2013, there was so much pressure to expand but more importantly, I found myself saying no all the time, like no mm-hmm. to customers, no to retail stores, no to distributors that wanted to carry our beer and get it into the into the fans' hands. And um, it was getting kind of old saying no all the time. I really wanted to make people happy. I'm right. a yes guy. So we started looking around at how can we make this happen without taking on a huge capital expansion, hiring a whole bunch of employees, got a good quality of life, young kids at home a home-based business, and we found Two Roads Brewing, which was opening in Stratford, Connecticut, with kind of a new model towards contract brewing for today's craft brewer, where Mm -hmm. the approach is you can use your own ingredients. I brought in my own house yeast, and most importantly, their water profile was very close to what I was brewing with up in Warren, Vermont. So I was able to develop a beer called the Sip of Sunshine IPA there that matched the flavor profile of the beers I was making up for for Vermont, Mm -hmm. and it was a runaway hit, grand slam for us. And that positioned us as we matured and started expanding distribution uh, to be in the place where... Ten years in, we, we started construction on uh, on the new place in, in Waitsfield, Vermont, and uh, so excited to have a home for Lawson's Finest, finally cool. where fans can join us and experience Lawson's in our own establishment. We're talking with Sean Lawson. He is the head of Lawson's Finest Liquids here on the Algatulo Craft Beer Cast on AM 970. The answer, we're coming to you from Paragon Tap and Table in Clark, New Jersey. The question I have for you, and there are lots of people that do contract brewing, um, there are some that have a lot of control over the product that they're putting in when you're working with another brewery. Yeah. And then there are others that's kind of, all right, here's the ingredients, and their their people at whatever brewing uh, place that you're brewing at has control over it. Did you find that you had a lot of control over the process at Two Roads, or was some of it taken away from you? Because it, obviously it is their brewery, and sure. they're helping you out. But did you have a lot a lot of control over that? Yeah, it was really the former, and that was the only way I would go forward with uh, doing that project and initiating that relationship with Two Roads. At the beginning, I said to them, we've built a lot of brand equity or just so much value in the name Lawson's Finest. We have people that drive from all over the Northeast and beyond to come to Vermont to buy our beer, and our name is very valuable. So the last thing I want to do is chase dollars so i'm not in this just for the sake of growth we want to do this to make our fans happy Mm -hmm. and to get more beer into their hands and so the only way we'll do this is if the beer meets my expectations and the expectations that our fans will have for the quality the flavor and the experience that they have when they're drinking it and so uh, working with two roads has been phenomenal and they they allowed me uh, full control over the process, how we wanted to make it. It takes longer to make than your average uh, double IPA by a few days. Uh, I use all of my own ingredients, and as we've grown with them over the years, 
Uh, they even dedicated a full grain silo to us. We use all wow. of our own specialty malts, and as I said, my own yeast, and the process of how it's dry hopped, how long it takes, the temperatures we keep it at, I have complete control over that. And most importantly, they've executed very well. Right. And so, yeah. so essentially, you're using their water, and basically everything else is, is to you, is up to you. Ingredients, the, the ingredients process, whole thing. and the process, we set that, but they have to carry it out. I'm right. not there to do it. In the beginning, I was there all the time uh, to be there for each step of the way, how it's brewed, how it's processed, how it's carried to the package, mm. uh, and but there's like enough how it's of a... centrifuged. So once that was all set, right. then... Now there's enough of a trust process where you can leave them let to it go do their a little thing. bit. Right. So we go down there regularly um, throughout the year, but they have the process dialed in so that it's almost on autopilot. That's great. Yeah. We're talking with Sean Lawson from Lawson's Finest Liquids. He's here at Paragon Tap and Table here in Clark, New Jersey. This is the Algatulo Craft Beer Cast on AM 970 The Answer. And you're, you talked about your attention to detail and how you care so much about your product. I know that you were here earlier. And one of the kegs didn't meet up to your expectations, and you made sure that there was another keg here to take care of it because you wanted to make sure that that beer was perfect. That's an attention to detail that I don't see from a lot of brewers, and that speaks highly to what you put out. And, I, and it's funny, I see it on social media all the time. Somebody sees a can of Sip of Sunshine, let's say it's at Penn Station and they're on their way home on a train or whatever, and they're excited to, to see a beer that they can only get in Vermont, and all of a sudden it's in New York City and they can have it. And it brings back that memory of the first time that they had it. And, you know, they talk about how, wow, this tastes just like it did when I was in Vermont on a ski trip or, you know, whatever the case may be on vacation or just visiting or whatever it is. And that speaks volumes to how you, you run your product. And that's, that's a great thing. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. And so you started as a home brewer. Is that something, I know you went to college for other things, but is it something that you always wanted to do was to brew beer? It's funny, I fell in love with brewing in college. A friend of mine introduced me to home brewing. My buddy Matt invited me over one day for, to try some of his home brew. Cracked it open, poured it out. I was, wow, you made this? And he's like, yeah, I made it. Right. So I said, can you show me how? This is better than anything you can get in the store. Sure. And so two weeks later, we're cooking up my first batch of home brew back in uh, 1990 in my little apartment in downtown Burlington, and I just kind of fell in love with it. Uh, got passionate about it but I didn't ever envision it as a career back mm. then but right out of college I worked in a couple of brew pubs I worked in the Breckenridge Pub and Brewery back in 1992 okay. uh, the next year uh, went down to Arizona worked in the uh, Beaver Street uh, Pub and Brewery in Flagstaff Arizona and I, I loved it the energy was great there but I had you know a mission to go out and save the world as an environmental studies major from the University of Vermont and, right, you got your minor in forestry, if I'm not mistaken, And then I went right? back and got my master's in forestry, wow. and I pursued a career in doing forest science research, and then I got into doing education, outdoor education, uh, naturalist program. I founded a program up at Mad River Glen uh, 25 years ago, uh, leading snowshoe tours and teaching people about the outdoors, about the wildlife and the forests of Stark Mountain. And, and then uh, beer I fell was in passionate your lap. about that. And right. then over the years, people encouraged me about my home brewing, that I should consider opening a brewery. People kept asking, can I buy your beer? Mm -hmm. I'm like, I make two cases at a time. Here's a couple bottles. Enjoy it. Right, right. And uh, during that time, maturing a bit, you know, 15 years out of college, I started to realize that brewing beer is like an act of creation. Each time you make a, sure. make a batch... You're, you're creating something with your hands and with your mind. And, right. I, and I appreciated the art and the craft of it much more than I did when I was 15 years younger. And I started to realize that, hey, maybe this is a worthy calling and I should 
give it a shot. And so I started as a hobby business. I didn't give up my career in forestry right away. I started right. with a one-barrel system, didn't quit my day job. But during that first year, it was clear that not only doing it as a job did I, did I love it even more. Mm-hmm. I found myself more passionate, but it was working and it was selling way faster than I could make it. And that kind of started us down the path to success. That is very so. cool. I mean, it's, it's great to be able to embrace something that is a passion because... Let's face it, it's a labor of love for you. It's oh, yeah. a job, you're making money off of it, but in, at the end of the day, you feel great when you go home. You, you know what, yeah. I did this today, and this feels good, and you still have that same energy, even after all these years, of just home brewing for friends. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a long road for us over the last 11 years, going from a tiny one-barrel brewery next to my house to this huge facility in Vermont. We now have three brewing locations. Mm-hmm. Uh, the original pilot brewery that we use in, in Warren, the seven-barrel system there, the new production brewery, which is 40 hectoliters, about 34 barrels, and the tap room and the retail store where we have over 50 employees now, and then the production facility uh, that we utilize for contract brewing down in Stratford at Two Roads Brewing. So it's it's quite an enterprise these days, and we've had to learn a lot over the last couple of years going through the building project and building out our team, which is amazing. Yeah, and I'd yeah. be remiss if I didn't say we started off with Carton, but you've been all over the state of New Jersey. How has the reaction been uh, here in the state uh, of New Jersey to uh, Lawson's? Uh, so much fan love here. It's 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 hard to believe, uh, but it's, it surprises me on the one hand, but on the other hand, it doesn't. People have been asking for us to come to New Jersey and bring our beer here for years, giving right. us a hard time. Come on, you're from Jersey. Right, why, right. why aren't you bringing your beer here? So uh, it's very gratifying that we can uh, bring Lawson's Finest Liquids to New Jersey. Uh, we'll be here all the time now distributing Sip of Sunshine, the rotating super session series of uh, single hop session IPAs and every other month bringing some of our uh, Vermont brewed specialty brands down uh, to distribute both in cans and in draft here in Jersey. Oh, that's awesome. I've had the double, I've had the triple, I've had the, the sip of sunshine, I've had the session. Everything I've tasted has been fantastic. And I have to tell you, the double and the, tri- the triple sneaks up on you. It oh, is yeah. a fantastic beer. Ten and a half. And, and <laughs> shocking that it is a triple because it doesn't taste like one. So, Sean, kudos to you and your product. Every, you know, it's, it's great and uh, so glad that you're here in New Jersey. Thanks for giving me a couple of minutes here. Yeah, thanks, Al. Thanks for uh, taking the time to speak with me. And uh, cheers. Cheers. Absolutely. My thanks to Sean Lawson from Lawson's Finest Liquids, as well as the authors of the new book, Texas Flood, the inside story of Stevie Ray Vaughan, Alan Paul, and Andy Eldord. Back Tuesday on the Joe Piscopo Show at 6 a.m., this has been the Alcatulo Craft Beer Cast on AM 970. The answer, cheers, everybody. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.